Hey guys, and welcome back to the Beaver Life Show with me, Tori Ree. Apologies for my MIA actions last week. I was prepping in the final stages of prepping for my show, which took place last Saturday. Um, so the energy was not particularly there, but we pushed through. And then since then, it's been a mad rush to get my backside out to Bali. So a couple of the Viva Life crew are currently out here. Um, it's such an incredible country and I feel truly, truly blessed to be able to experience it. Um, so yeah, if you hear some weird noises in the background, that's just birds and geckos and what other creepy crawlies and things are making noise. Um, but yeah, so this episode, which is probably what you're actually tuning in for, um, this episode was recorded a couple of weeks back when we did our compostable launch event in London. Um, this was just a small event where we invited a couple of the Kickstarter backers. So uh, if you remember, probably around maybe May time, I think it was launched. And um, we put out a Kickstarter invite for people to um, put money towards us getting our fully home compostable packaging ready. This has now started. Production is happening. We are no longer producing anything in plastic pouches. They are all in home compostable packaging. Um, so we did a little launch event just to celebrate this because obviously this is a huge milestone for Vivo Life. Um, and I think for the industry as a whole, I think it's really important that we start making waves on this. Um, so yeah, super exciting. We did a little event and we recorded some bits from a Q&A. There's a little intro piece first from Josh just to explain and um, obviously what the mission was what we've achieved and also just to give a thanks to all of you guys because obviously without you none of this would be possible um, and then it went through to a Q&A which uh, we recorded because I think actually it answers a lot of questions that you guys will probably have so have a little listen hopefully it covers everything if you do have any further questions or queries obviously just get in contact with us either via the email the Instagram or whatever form of communication you find easiest, uh, just let us know and we'll get back to you as soon as possible. But for now, enjoy the podcast. You're someone who actually backed us on Kickstarter and made this possible because if it wasn't for our Kickstarter backers, none of this would be possible. Um, for those that don't know, we actually raised all of the money for our compostable packaging was raised by pre-orders via Kickstarter. Uh, obviously, being a small business, you know, having, you know, quite a lot of disposable income is, is very, very hard to get. So actually it was Aviva customers who were part of this and pre-funded this compostable packaging. So uh, we owe you a massive, massive thanks for that. And then of course, there's a few of our very loved, very appreciated staff in the room who obviously every day make this kind of thing possible um, and we couldn't do it without you either. So thank you all for being here. Um, I'm not gonna talk too long because I don't really do this kind of stuff, but what I wanted to do is to give you like a little brief rundown of like where, what it's taken to get to this point, because it's very easy to see like the compostable packaging as it is now and just think, okay, yeah, that's a box tick, but it's actually been a very, very long journey to get here. So I just wanted a little show of hands. Who remembers the products when they look like this? That was me before I grew my hair out, by the way. <laughs> Does anyone? One, two, and you both work for us, right? <laughs> So this was, uh, I've got like a better shot, there we are. So this was like the very first version of our protein powder. Um, and that was actually made in a recyclable plastic tub. And the reason we went for that is because we felt that the uh, recyclable plastic was the best, like most sustainable option at the time. Um, 
And actually, every single tub that we used to send out, this was the very first version of the protein powder, we used to, me and Hannah, uh, who's over here, so Hannah was actually one of our very first employees at Vivo. Um, many of you are here because of her, and she's like our head of customer loyalty, so um, a lot of you will, will know her already. But Hannah was one of our very first employees, and Hannah and I, we used to sit in the warehouse every day whenever a protein order would come in, and we used to get these plastic tubs, and we used to have to heat gun these labels on, in like one by one by one, and then send them out. And the amount of times we'd, I've still got scars on my hands from where I've like burnt my hands on the heat gun, or like we, we melted tubs because we got the heat gun too close. It's, like a, it's basically like a giant hairdryer. Um, and we went for these tubs because they were recyclable tubs and we felt that they were the most sustainable option at the time. We felt that obviously having a tub that could be recycled was the best option. But as the business grew and it grew quite quickly, we realized that actually the sustainability of these tubs probably wasn't what we thought it was because we were having to ship these tubs not just in the UK but now into Europe into Canada, into the USA and around the world. And they're very heavy and they take up a lot of space in transit. So we found that when we're shipping like hundreds of these tubs a day all around the world, it's taking up a lot of fuel and it actually wasn't as ethical and sustainable as we thought it was. So that's when we made the decision that even though these tubs were plastic, uh, recycled plastic, should I say, it makes a lot more sense from where we were to move to this design. And this is a, it's a plastic pouch, it's non-recyclable. Uh, and the reason we, it's not recyclable is because even though it's a plastic outer and then it's a uh, metallic layer, they, at most recycling plants, they can't be separated. So you have to actually separate the plastic from the metal and then recycle them both uh, in order to do it. And, and most recycling plants can't, can't do that. Even though it was non-recyclable, you could fit basically 5,000 of these pouches in one box compared to 25 of the tubs right, because these can flat pack and, and really, really like squish down into a bag. Uh, so we found that this was actually saving us a hell of a lot of fuel, a hell of a lot of air miles every time, uh, which is why we went for this pouch. Um, but we always knew we could do better. This was in 2017, we launched this pouch, launched the pouch, um, but we knew we could do a lot better than, than that. And that was when we started really researching like the most eco-friendly, sustainable, biodegradable, compostable, every single option that was out there. Um, and at that time, actually, we realized that our customers were starting to demand it more and more. You guys were starting to really like get hot on us about sustainability and you know, switching our plastic. And that really reassured us because we knew that we, you know, we were onto the right thing and we knew that it's what the market was demanding too. Um, and there were so many cases. There was actually, there was this one case of a guy who reached out to us on Instagram and he goes like, love your product, really, really like it, but I'm trying to cut down on my plastic. If I send you my own containers, would you be able to fill them up for me and like just you know don't send them in the pouch? And I was like, yeah, I'm sure that's fine. Um, and then it went quiet for a few weeks and I thought like he hadn't you know sent us anything. And then I got a call from Clara, our quality control manager, and um, he'd sent us these in the post. <laughs> and she was like, Josh, we're a vegan company. Like, why, why are you sending us yogurt pots? And, um, he basically sent us six one kilo yogurt pots in the post in order to fill up with protein powder and then send back to him. This was how passionate people were about like make, living a zero waste plastic free lifestyle. I didn't want to ask him why he was using dairy products if he's trying to be like environmentally friendly. Um, but obviously Clara, as we, we know, is like she's a very, she's very, very meticulous quality control manager. And she called me panicking saying that you know, we, no, we can't fill these up because if we do, there's going to be bacteria in the yogurt tubs and they could, they could contaminate the protein powder and that could cause them to be ill. 
So I actually had to reach out to this guy and get him to sign a waiver and say, like, no, if you're ill from this, it's not our fault. Uh, we eventually shipped him the yogurt pots full of protein powder. Um, but this was like the scale of demand we were seeing, and we knew we had to do something about it. So, Sal, um, I, might, I might pass the mic to you to kind of talk a little bit more about like the, um, the technical stuff that went into it, because obviously, Sal, for those that don't know, is, is my business partner um, and does like, yeah, massive, massive work. And you, you spent basically two years with no sleep, didn't you? Like, really researching every single option that was out there. Yeah, so I think what it is, it's the. Because it's in its slight well, it's innovative. Um, everyone sort of at the start was making it up, and everyone was trying to sell you something that they all classed to be recyclable, eco. And then there was the bigger issues. It might be recyclable in the USA if they have an industrial recycling plant, or even in China, but then it's not re recyclable um, in the UK because they haven't actually got the infrastructure. Because actually, plastic is fully recyclable, PET plastic, but you just need the actual infrastructure in order to put it into to recycle it, like we do with our glass bottles. It's just the government underestimated, or probably we're ignorant in that area, and didn't invest into that infrastructure. And now to solve it, it's about a five-year, probably 10-year or 15-year project, but we need to do something now. That now leaves it in the hands of the companies, like people like ourselves and the people like yourselves, and that's why you're here. So, um, so yeah, uh, for us, I guess, because it was just filtering through the rubbish and trying to find the real stuff, that's what took the longest. And we finally got through to one company who was on the same mission as us. We've also been testing this stuff for two years. But then even with that, it was still trying to find out about each different material and trying to find out if each material is truly compostable. So then that required testing. But we finally got it there and we finally put it together and actually Josh was even able to test it himself. And um, oh yeah, I'll pass it back now. <laughs> been told not to speak unless there's a microphone. Uh, yeah, it wasn't actually me that has been testing it. It was my friend Jack over there. Um, so Jack, aka Jack's Patch, has uh, an organic permaculture farm. And we wanted to, before we released anything that we said was compostable, we wanted it to actually stand up to the standards. We didn't just want to tick a box and say this is compostable. So this here was our first ever trademark, um, trademark prototype of the compostable packaging. And we actually said to Jack, look, we want to see like, that this is going to break down. Uh, would you put it in your compost for us? So we took it um, and it went over to Jack's um, farm and his home compost. And this is a breakdown currently within five months. Um, now, home compostable packaging, it doesn't compost overnight. Uh, it is in your home compost. It can take anywhere from nine to 24 months to fully break down. But what we actually found was that um, in doing further research, it makes it's a lot better if you can cut it up into smaller pieces rather than put it in like one big pouch. We, we literally got this pouch. It was full of pea protein at the time, wasn't it? And, and we just sort of chucked it in the compost just to see what would happen. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, that's we're really impressed with the breakdown after five months as it is, but if you were to cut that up and actually take the product out, it's going to break down a lot, lot faster. Um, and further to that, what we've done along with the supplier, we've done tests on the soil to make sure that as it breaks down, it's not actually going to cause any harm to the soil. It's not going to uh, affect like the soil microbes. It's not going to cause any harm to worms. It's not going to cause any um, like heavy metals in the soil. 
and that was really important. And we've also done tests in marine conditions. So if the pouch was however possible to find its way into the ocean, that it would break down too and it wouldn't cause any harm to marine life. It wouldn't get any microplastics back into the ecosystem. So it's been a really, really extensive process, um, which is why like we're super, super proud to be here and like be at the real end of it and have these products on the market coming through to our Kickstarter people now and like actually coming into circulation. And by the, where are we? There we go. So this is our full range, which by January, if we hit our targets, will be fully home compostable. Uh, we're not actually manufacturing in the plastic pouches anymore. So every product that's being made is being made in home compostable. And obviously it's gonna take time to get into all our warehouses. But by January, we hope the full range is gonna look like that and it's all gonna have the home compostable sign on it. Uh, and by that point, that's going to put 10,000 plastic pouches every month out of circulation. So it's a massive, massive step. Uh, we're super proud to have done it. And again, like I want to say thank you to everyone who's here for making it possible. Like we genuinely, genuinely couldn't have done it without you. So give yourself a little round of applause. Like we appreciate it. We then moved on to the Q&A. Um, I will repeat all the questions because unfortunately everybody in the audience wasn't mic'd up. Um, it was just the guys at the front who had a mic. Um, so you will hear me pop in. But the first question um, came from someone asking about, okay, so if it's fully compostable, does that mean we can just chuck it out the car window? Um, does that mean we can just leave it around in a park when we're finished with it? Um, and this was the answer from the guys. Yeah, so it was a really good question because I can't remember who else said it, but he was like, oh yeah, no, that's really cool. When I'm done, I'll just leave it at the park or something. And it's, whilst in theory, it could break down number one it's not going to break down as fast because it hasn't got when when packaging is composted or anything is composted and jack will vouch for this like it, it has to be specific conditions right there has to be humidity there has to be warmth within the compost pile it will get to silly temperatures to the point where when i move it um i can barely touch it it's that hot and that's just the micro, like everything that's in the soil, all the billions and billions of microbes and the mycelium network of the soil, so that's like fungi, uh, is during that breakdown process, it is working that fast, that much energy is going into it, it's hot. It's like, so that having that connection with the packaging is just going to break it down even quicker. So that's why I was shocked within five months. I've never seen, I'm always skeptical with like someone that says, oh, this is compostable um, because I, I, I want to see the end product and you never do. Uh, but with that, we are actually seeing the end product. Uh, it's only five months, but within another couple of months, that's gone. And another thing that I'd add to that as well is obviously if you leave it in nature, yes, it, you know, eventually it will break down. But in the meantime, it could, like, I don't know if there's a rabbit at the park or something, it could find itself trapped in the bag or something like that. So obviously, like, just bear that stuff in mind. Um, yeah, so maybe don't check it out your car window. <laughs> The next question was, okay, so if I don't have soil available, for example, if you live in an apartment or a condo or a flat, and you don't have a garden or a, a, a compostable area, then how are you going to do this? Is it okay to just put in the bin like normal or what's the best practice? We were chatting earlier about it and you did, you did make a good point actually, because in theory, it's industrial, the government does have industrial composting areas. But where they exactly are is not completely clear. Some say there's a couple in the UK. And whether you're, and which bin will actually get there, you can't be certain about. 
but it's almost like you could be more certain if you cut the packaging up and treated it like food because maybe one way of looking at waste is if microbes break it down then it's more of a form of food and we could look start there if you wanted to go the next step you could look to get in touch with a local council find out if they do have an industrial compost then it's just knowing which of your bins depending on your bin system because it depends whether you're in the usa canada or uk or europe your bin system but yeah the simplest i would say what you said earlier but i don't know if you want to add to that about the um cutting it up into pieces and remember to keep doing that. Um, yeah, I, I would definitely ring them, but I, I would treat it as food because it is breaking down into soil. Like the end product is soil, where for like stuff like every other bit of packaging will be recycled or like just chucked. Um, but in the, the way they break down food, I think will go the same way they'll break down that product. It will just break down through like microbes and energy burning it down into nothing. Um, but yeah, that it, it being cut up, I wouldn't just shove it in the food waste. Still, just go like you've just. I think they'll probably. Do they fine you for it? Or, but uh, if you cut it up, I don't see any issue. I, I would definitely ring them though, so you don't get in trouble. But um, yeah. Then this question was actually three and one. Uh, it was asked by myself, so I apologise to the panel. <laughs> um, but the first question was aimed more at Derek. We had Derek Simner on the panel. Um, and I wanted to understand how it was in Canada, whether he noticed any differences in kind of sustainability efforts, etc., um, especially like from their government. Um, I also wanted to know what he believed was or how important he believed it was for more influencers to be kind of pushing sustainability and influencing change. And then finally, what tips he could give and from the panel in general, what tips could be given to us to be more sustainable in life, period? What little things we could do to make a difference? Well, yeah, in Canada, we have, uh, we have a compost, like we have a green bin, which we put all of our like food waste in. Uh, and then we also have, yeah, recycling and we have like garbage as well. Uh, but yeah, it's an interesting point because I actually recently watched a, um, a CBC News marketplace or whatever it was on where our recycling actually goes and if it's actually recycled. And as much as we like try to um, separate everything properly and, and make sure it gets to the right places uh it's not it doesn't always get recycled like you know so sometimes the the canadian government will like you know they send it overseas in hopes that it gets recycled over there however we don't know what happens when it gets there so i think the you know really important takeaway from that is yeah to reduce your consumption of plastics especially um yeah your daily use of them and the one-time you know single-use plastics uh, and yeah, and, and you know, move to products like this, and especially you know, it's really important that Vivo is doing this because they're kind of leading the way, uh, and other p companies are going to see this and you know, be pressured into doing this, or and they're going to realize that uh, what they're doing is not you know what they've been doing, it has to be better, right? Uh, so yeah, in Canada, there's a big focus. People really care about it. Uh, we really like that. You know, you see Recycling Day. It's like everybody's got it out perfectly, like you know, separate and everything like that, but. Uh, yeah, it doesn't always get to where we want it to be. Uh, a lot of, you know, we have good-sized properties there, too, so a lot of people have, like, home um, compost and stuff, and which is really amazing. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's the, those are the big differences I see. Uh, there's a lot of plastic, though, and, and it's really hard. Uh, like, if you want to buy organic in Canada, almost everything is packaged in plastic unless you go to, you know, a, a farmer's market. 
but uh, our weather only allows that to happen for a few months of the year, so you don't really get that all year round. And then as far as like influencers, I mean, yeah, just, you know, Vivo Life is, is you know, influencing the market and, and you know, I hate to call myself that, but I guess if there's enough eyes on you, you might be. Uh, that, yeah, I mean, it's, it's extremely important. And I try and, uh, you know, I try and put that message out there without like shoving it down people's throats because I know it's so different in, in so many different places around the world. Uh, yeah, I do my best. I think it's important. Yeah, for sure. What was the third question? Oh, yeah, right couple things. So uh, one thing, Krista taught me this recently, actually, and do you know what I'm going to say? No. Oh. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, when, so you go to the store and you're buying like bulk food. Um, a lot of the time, you know, you just grab the plastic bags and you fill it up. So what I learned is that you can actually go and get those mushroom bags, which are made of uh, paper uh, that are, you know, you put your mushrooms in that are in like the the grocery section, and you can actually use those bags and, and fill those up so you're not using plastic. Of course, it's not ideal because there has to be, you know, there has to be some sort of recycling in place uh, or manufacturing to make that, you know, cutting trees down or, or it's recycled paper, which is, you know, still not the easiest on the environment. Uh, so the best case scenario would be to, like, bring your own bags, of course, right? And then just being, uh, and we do have those as well. We have, uh, your mom made us some, actually. Yeah, for bulk foods. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she does, yeah. And she actually even sewed on the amount of the weight of it. Like, she weighed it in grams, and it was, like, something like 25 grams or something like that. So if you're buying, like, raisins or grains or something heavy, it doesn't really matter. But if you're buying, like, I don't know, saffron or nutritional yeast or something that's, like, light, you want you, you don't want to be paying for that bag, right? Um, but another thing, you know, of course, growing a garden at home, like he's mentioning, you can grow microgreens, you can, um, you can grow sprouts, uh, you know, sprouted seeds and, and that. Um, having your own garden, of course, uh, we do, and, and I wish we had, you know, a bit better, like, growing season. Our growing season's really short. Uh, and then, yeah, just being conscious of, of, like, just every time that you see plastic and that you use it and that you touch it, just, like, realizing and trying to definitely reduce that. Uh, yeah, probably, I've had a bunch of uh, ideas in mind this morning because I have a feeling this question was going to come up, but that's about all I can think of right now. Yeah. Yeah, there's, so, oh! Uh, like get used like clothing like don't just like go and buy like fast fashion uh, you know try and like find stuff at the at the thrift stores uh, and then also yeah don't just like cycle through your clothing really quickly because that's quite hard on on the environment oh man there's so much that we can do cycling you know places rather than taking a car lots yeah cool yeah that's about it When I lived in Australia, they didn't give you uh, plastic bags in Aldi. There was just a big box of all the boxes that they'd emptied that day for the fruit and veg. Grab a box and then just, like, I, I'd done it on my Instagram the other day, and so many people's like, that is, like, semi-genius because, like, they didn't even think of it themselves. But it's, even in, like, Waitrose or Tesco, they're always breaking down boxes once they package them. I, like, stop them. I say, like, can I have a box? And I just go around, put my groceries in that, and then that's my bag on the way out as well. It's like really simple, but you'd like if you forget your like bag for life or whatever. That's instead of buying another one, just yeah, really like simple hack. And there's even like certainly in London. I don't know what it's like in Canada, but there's a lot of zero waste stores here now. There's one in North London. Um, even like Planet Organics will do it now, where you can actually bring your own containers and go and fill up at, at the bulk buy. And you know whether that's bags or you know containers that you use again and again, you can do that too. So. It's it's very easy to feel like you can't do anything, but small steps like this make like a massive, massive difference. So, yeah, like I totally agree with everything you said. 
The next question was directed at Jack's patch, who was actually the one splashing around right next to me. <laughs> um, but this question directed at him was, we're seeing a lot more companies coming out with wonky veg boxes and veg that isn't quite looking to the same standard that we'd find in the supermarket. Is that okay? Yeah, yeah, that, that's fine. Like the reason uh, everything in the supermarket looks perfect is because if there's an imperfection, if a cucumber's 10 degrees bent, they chuck it. So you gotta think like that is ridiculous. Like I think two thirds, like yeah, two thirds of food is chucked. So we only get a third of it in the supermarket because so much of it, like most of my f veg is like wonky. I'd, I'd chuck most of it if it was, uh, if it like when I get a perfect one, yeah, that's on Instagram. Like, yes, <laughs> but um, it's, that's such a like small amount to what it is. I, if it's got character, it's actually probably better for you than anything that looks too perfect or too like I say like maybe like not genetically. Like it's like hybrid sometimes. A lot of it, that's another thing with our seed diversity as well. We've, we've lost 96% seed diversity in the last 200 years. So 96% of our menu has been wiped out and we're messing around with 4%. So there's like loads of stuff that I mentioned about black tomatoes, purple corn. This stuff was like that times 10,000. Uh, it's like one type of asparagus now. And there was like hundreds before. So it's like, there's a lot of stuff we need to be thinking about. Um, it, the, the, the rabbit hole gets bigger. But yeah, to do with that odd box, I think it's a great idea. It keeps coming up on my YouTube, actually. Um, but yeah, I think it's great because is it, it's a lot cheaper, yeah? Yeah, if it, I th it's a like bit of a no-brainer. I think all that stuff that is getting wasted, they're just putting that together. Yeah, do it, yeah. The next question again was directed at Jack, but this time it was asking about the competitiveness in the industry that he's in. So is there scalability in these kind of small organic farms uh, that have a biodiverse range of crops? And are they ever going to reach the same kind of scale as these industrial farmers? Are they going to be pushing them down? How's it all going to work out? Yeah, so I'm on like, these like my Instagram, the people I follow and the people I work with, we've got such a tight community of guys who are doing what I'm doing around the country, but we're all like so fed up with how things were that we've, that we've all started and we're all in our like small, uh, we're all small scale, but the amount of food you can grow in such a small space is incredible. Like what they're doing on industrial level. When I see space, I just see opportunity of like that being like pure biodiversity of different things instead of being like one crop. I actually think you make more money if one, like an acre farm turned into, like went down to a quarter of an acre, they'd make more money it being more biodiverse than one crop. Um, just you bring in a lot more life, um, the soil's healthier. Um, as I said, like if, you, if the soil's healthy, that, that food tastes different. Like I've gave loads of food to Josh and when we cook, you're tasting everything on that plate as, as you might say, but yeah, try and find in your local community more people that like, or organic growers or, or even wherever you live, like try and access that in a small way. Or I, I was talking to uh, one of the cameramen earlier and he was, bit of um, inspiration is to buy one plant and grow it and make that connection with that plant. Cause you, you get so offended when it dies. <laughs> You're just like, oh, come on. Like it, but when you taste the fruit off that plant or the leaves, like, yeah, it's not like nothing like I've ever tasted. Once I tried that food in Australia for the first time, I still say it's like the first time I tried a tomato, first time I tried like any fruit and veg because it tasted so different. And my, like my mind was shifted from that point. And you feel healthier for it. Like I know my insides feel a lot better. Like 
I just you feel good and it makes you feel happy. Um, it, it does something to you. Instead of it, it's, it's electric food as well from harvest. Once you harvest it to eating it, it's still got its full nutritional benefit and that food's electric and we're electric beings so you've got to feed the electricity. Hope you get that. Yeah, get in touch. <laughs> Um, yeah, like I'm, ex I'm expanding, but I feel like um, yeah, I still want that love in the food. I think more people should just do it within their communities. Even if like a few of you get an allotment together, like I come home at 25 and my mates ripped me for having an allotment. Um, but I was like, <laughs> I even had like head torch on at night, like shoveling, compost. I was like, I'm doing it, I'm doing it. Like, but once you try that food, you you don't go back, and you feel a lot better for it. And you just got to kind of go against the system a little bit. Because if we all start this change, um, yeah, man, we won't have any, like the declining um, like diseases, etc., will just plummet. You, like it's food is medicine. So yeah, don't take it for granted, really. Yeah, I'll add to that as well. Because I think like part of the, the reason we're in this situation is because we expect everything to be on a mass scale. And we expect like if Jack's Patch is doing a veg box for his local community we expect that to be soon available worldwide and realistically it's not but hopefully the the way we're going to turn this around is by making that revolution in our local community and encouraging more people to do it and more people to get involved so whilst you know your produce you know it may be but it may not be able to be like everywhere if there's a hundred of you like like you said earlier in like loads of different communities then that's when the real change starts to happen because then that's happening at a grassroots level and then that's when i really think we can affect change Jack was on a roll and another question was directed at him. This time it was a guy who was explaining that he actually put himself down recently on a list for an allotment uh, local to him, but the waiting list time was actually around five years. So the question was asking whether there are people who are out there who are trying to have these conversations with the government to be able to get more allotments and lower waiting times because for people without gardens, kind of at a dead end. Yeah, these are uh, like... I've got like a whole WhatsApp group of people around the country and we're just like, we're fighting against the narrative quite a lot, but we're, we're literally getting offered land. Like I don't pay any rent. I, p I just feed the woman who gives me the land because there's a lot of land out there. Land landowners ain't doing anything with it, but if they see something practical being done, like if people come together and, and I'm, I'm starting to like run courses and stuff, but there is peop definitely to people to watch on YouTube, like, Definitely get in contact with me because I might know someone in your community that's doing it uh, because it is happening and uh, I've got people all around Europe, America and Canada like leading the way big time. Um, but yeah, like these are the, the boat's starting to be rocked here, definitely. Um, you just got to find it and like stuff like Oddbox and that, that, that st stuff's cropping up year by year. Like five years ago, you wouldn't have been able to find stuff like that. Brighton is definitely, there's definitely stuff going on. I know what you mean. I, Unfortunately, I had to wait for someone to die before I got an allotment. <laughs> like, you just, it's people just hold on to them because they're like gold dust. And I think more people start growing their own food, those sort of little pockets of land are like, you've got to hold on to it. Um, but yeah, the microgreens and sprouting, first thing I would do in my apartment is super easy. There's loads of YouTube videos on it. And that, I think it's like, um, so like uh, radish sprouts, broccoli sprouts, very anti-cancer, loads, loads of vitamins, but... Uh, a pinch of that is four to 40 times better than its adults. So like a pinch of broccoli microgreens are 40 times more nutritious 
on a natural broccoli. So you got to feed, if you're feeding your body like that sort of nutrition, it's like a little hack. For me, it's like, bang, just like every day I'm eating that kind of nutrition. And um, yeah, that's what I want to get out there most. I'm trying to expand that bit. Huh? Uh, eBay or, or whatever, and it's all organic as well. And you get quite a lot and it's cheap. It's super cheap startup, like ridiculously cheap. And yeah, I sell them to chefs and in food boxes and people can't get enough. But once you explain the nutritional benefit, you're like, how is this not everywhere? I was looking the other day uh, in our stores near us and there's like, we have some you know specialty organic uh, stores, sort of like small whole foods. And I saw they had like a bunch of sprouting uh, like packages and there are these p small packages and you got like a few like lentil, you know, lentils in there that were like sprouting lentils. But you can just get the, the bulk food and as long as they're not like split lentils or they've been, you know, c processed in some way, those are going to sprout, you know, just the same as, as those other ones. And they were like pennies on the dollar compared to compared to those. So sunflower seeds are like amazing to sprout. Um, if you can get French or poi lentils, those are really good to sprout as well. Uh, yeah, there's just uh, tons of them that you can even, I mean, uh, what is it? Uh, the chia seeds, th that's like the ch -ch -ch chia, those plants, right? Like that, you can like, you can make those into, uh, they're hard to sprout, but microgreens you can do. Yeah. Once again, it was directed at Jack, and this time it was being asked, what size land did he start his organic farming with, um, and what f kind of land size is he dealing with now? Because obviously, as far as we are concerned, um, in regards to regenerating the land, you would have to plant the crops, and then at some point you'd have to leave it for a little while. So how is he getting continual stock? Uh, yeah, like to regenerate the land, so... Um, like that whole no dig, definitely look into that. Um, are you, they're, they're, they're even like re reversing like desertification, um, just with like regenerating the soil. You literally half the time, if you leave soil, it regenerates itself. Like weeds are considered bad. A lot of the time they're more nutritious than half the fruit and veg we got in the, sh the shops. But that's literally a protection layer. When we when we till the soil, uh, you're exposing all that life to all that. Um, to the sun and it and it's sun damage and it it's just a protection layer. It's like making a canopy, like a mini forest over the soil to protect it. Uh, but I literally, um, on bare soil or grass, whatever, I put cuts cardboard and then compost on top. And each year I just put in compost, compost because as it degrades down, it's just feeding it and you're bringing the worms up. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Oh, yeah, no, that with the no dig, you don't have to rotate. Um, because you're feeding the soil, you're putting the nutrition back on that you would deplete if you dug it. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, like, yeah, if you dump potatoes year after year by, by, like, all the books, what they say is that you have to rotate it because the nutritional profile another plant will take different, like, like phosphorus or whatever. But with the no dig, if you feed the soil, you're feeding a plant all the time. So these studies on YouTube, guys been planting, I've planted tomatoes for three seasons in the same spot and they've been fine. As long as they don't get a disease, uh, yeah, you're fine. You just, you, you just think of it as you're, you're feeding the soil uh, because every time you dig it up, you, you're taking stuff away from it. Um, so I, I hope that answers. Yeah, brilliant. After showing um, one of the prototypes of the new compostable packaging, it was asked, 
because the packaging actually looks so similar to the previous packaging and it's still quite shiny, what is it actually made out of? So, yeah, that's, that's like, it's a good question because we originally thought it was going to be that sort of packaging too. I think two or three years ago, it, that was what was available. It was this kind of craft paper packaging and as soon as you put it in transit, it would break. And um, Yeah, so this, so full disclosure, this isn't the compostable packaging here. Uh, we weren't able to get any today. Uh, the delivery unfortunately missed us, but it looks very similar. I know a, a few of you in the room have received it already. It's got a bit more of a like um, a malleable sort of feel to it, so it you can sort of you know mash it a little bit, and uh, it hasn't got like the sheen that this one has. Uh, and it's made primarily from wood pulp, actually. So they use like sustainably managed plantations that grow the wood pulp, um, and that's like one of the main ingredients in there. It's 100% plant-based. The the rest is made up of um, other plants as well. I know you've got probably a few more technical details, haven't you, yeah, if you want to... Yeah, um, yeah, it's funny because you would think, oh, if it's in a paper bag, that that feels more realistic. Mm. But um, actually being in a paper bag won't actually protect the food. It needs an oxygen yeah. and water barrier for this powder, for the food inside the product to have at least a year shelf life. If we go any less than the shelf life, then it could create a lot of food waste. So um, we want at least one year shelf life so in order to obtain that, this is actually made up of three layers. And um, each layer is certified home compostable. It's had its own test done. It's even had marine degrade, um, marine test done. So each, depending on the cer certifier, they all have their own framework. But some of the layers are, have been tested to be mar marine safe. That means it will, it will um, dissolve but also they test it after for ecotoxicity, and that means it won't also damage life in, in that same place, in the sense of when it's in the soil, they test it for the worms and the plants to see if they've been toxicated after. So, um, so two of the layers um, that create the actual physical barrier are there, then the third layer is actually um, is made of, um, is it, what's the current metal at the moment? Yeah, it does actually, it's made up of a very thin amount of actual metals, but not enough to toxicate the soil, but enough to give an oxygen and water barrier. Because it's actually that metal layer that protects the product the most. And this was one of the biggest obstacles because a lot of people were claiming X, Y, and Z, but there wasn't actually a, a, a practical packaging solution. It might degrade, but it's not going to actually protect the product, protect the food. So um so yeah, it's pretty amazing technology, but it does come from mostly wood pulp. Also, the forest we got a certification. We can even put it on the website to show that the forest is actually looked after by which certification is it? Yeah. Yeah, because the other question would be how sustainable is the forestry? So so it's a s it's looked after and it's sustainable as it can be as per the certifiers overlooking it. And then, um, then yeah, then it's just really amazing technology. It's been uh, the technology has actually been existing for ten years. It's only because the demand's there. Because this is costing, this costs about four times the amount of money. So the reason why companies won't do it is, for example, we spend about twenty thousand pound a month on packaging. We're only going to now spend eighty thousand pound a month. So if you're a big supplement company, they they might spend a half a million or a million pound a month on their packaging. If you're all of a sudden now that's going to turn into four million they're going to try and do that as a last last resort so um but like i say due to our values and your demand 
we, we've invested and, and we've now got it over the line. But yeah, going back to your original question, it, it's just amazing technology. It comes from wood pulp. It's a metal layer in between, and they've all got the third-party test once they've hit the soil. But, but yeah, and if it was a paper bag, it would be more concerning. So if we do see that, I would probably just be check the shelf life of the product and make sure it's actually protected. Yeah, I don't know if that's a long way around your question, but... Um, <laughs> question was then directed back at Jack, and it was asking him, where does he find that most of his stock is going? What are his main kind of consumers of it? Um, so from day one, I always said I'll only work with ethical companies. So I've got like a zero waste supermarket in Lee, uh, Leon C in Essex. Um, same with like a high end chef that's like farm to table. Um, and yeah, cafe that's like farm to table. And I like supply most of their stuff. Um, there's more people in London that want to work with me, but like at the minute I'm saying no to people just because I look at a menu and it's like meat. And I'm just like, nah. <laughs> uh, at the minute I'm at, a, like I'm at, I'm not big enough to, I can say no to people. Like it might d like do me out a little bit of business, but it's like, I I'd rather stick to my values. Um, but yeah, I do a lot of box schemes as well locally. And I, where I live, it, it, I don't, people like, it's like on the edge of London, but so there is enough people that want like organic produce, and I realise that the out of where I am, there's actually no farms doing like organic or plastic free, and I do like both, and they like they love it. So, yeah, it's going really well. But yeah, you're welcome to like if people want to come down to me, or I'll go to like a certain distance, I'll, I'll do like deliveries and stuff. Yeah. Is the ink on the compostable packaging also biodegradable? Yeah, that's good actually. It did come up. Yeah, so we got an individual certification, which is the printer company. It's a big brand. I need to. Yeah, I think that like HP. Yeah. Yeah, so they're actually now um, the big companies like HP and stuff. They're doing certified home compostable sort of inks. And um, so the actual ink on the product is certified home compostable. When it's certified home compostable, I think the certification company, they're called TUV Austria, and um, they take them through a certain framework. And um, so once it's got their certification, then you're pretty sure it's gone through a rigorous testing procedures, which takes into account the heavy metals, the ecotoxicity. So yeah, so it is certified. And we, we will, I think it would be a good idea that we will make these documents transparent and um, yeah so that you can be reassured it is each layer is certified home compostable and um, so the transparency is there yeah so yeah do you hope that other brands are going to follow suit or does this set you apart yeah like I really really hope so and one of the reasons we were so passionate about getting it over the line as quickly as we could while obviously doing all the tests is because we hope now that it's going to encourage more companies to do the same because we really want to be a market leader in this technology and and make it so and it and it means people who are buying them also your demand is going with these companies that are investing in this technology and then soon we hope other brands are going to realize that yeah there is no other way and we we have to go and do that direction ourselves the beautiful thing is that there's so many brands, um, both from a production point of view, so people who are actually making the uh, ingredients for the pouches, there's so many new solutions coming out that it's becoming harder and harder to ignore them. And I think people are becoming so much more aware of their plastic use, of um, the impact they're having on an individual level, uh, in it, uh, on the environmental level, that I think people are demanding change. And I think in the next two to three, hopefully faster, 
years we're going to see a complete revolution. I, I really expect that. It was then made a point that obviously going compostable is a huge milestone. And where did they see the company going next? It's a good question. Um, I'd say come to VegFest next weekend, you'll see two new things that uh, are going to be coming. We've the the packaging. I don't want to say it's held us back because it really hasn't. Like I really think it's going to be a platform to move forward. But it's it's obviously being a small business, it stopped us investing in a lot of other stuff. Like this was our number one priority, and the reason our new product development has been pretty limited over the past 18 months is because we really wanted to lock in this packaging before we could move forward with anything else because we didn't feel comfortable putting more and more plastic pouches into circulation. So now we have this cracked. Now we really hope it's going to blow the doors open for us and we can really start investing in new products, uh, exciting new things, new flavors for the products that we've got. Um, and also, we can't just tick the box and say we've got home compostable packaging. We're a completely eco-friendly company. There's always things that can be improved. There's going to be new technologies coming out on the packaging which we can introduce into our packaging and probably use to improve that and you know make it even better going forward. And then there's things like, you know, how can we actually move into a completely zero waste option? Because even though it's compostable packaging, it's still creating waste. There's still energy to create it. There's still energy to transport it. So I don't know what that looks like, whether that's eventually people can come into the factory, fill their own um, yogurt tubs up or whatever they want to <laughs> fill up. Um, and just, yeah, actually, like, get things, like, you know, reduce as much as we can. Um, and I think... It's up to all of us on an individual level, but most of all, it's up to businesses as well, because it's business that has really got us into this environmental me mess, and I believe it's like the responsibility of new businesses to, to get us out of it. Um, so I don't know if there's anything more you want to say to that, but we just... So yeah, um, so yeah, I'd say definitely business, but I think also it's the right education, because if we were educated at what steps to take, we would make the right choices every day, so I think um, one thing we probably want to spend a bit more time, the partners we work with all share the same values that we work with Enviral, Josh from Enviral, who's actually been educating himself over many years about the truth, true impact of the, the world and uh, the impact of us not being as sustainable as we can when we consume. So we want to make sure we can share some practical tips with you um, as and when we got some real useful practical tips that would make a difference if everyone done them every day and i think the other thing we do is we plant trees now with every order so since we started i think this this actual um kickstarter campaign got us going i think we got three, three odd thousand trees planted from this and um since doing it we've now got thirty-three thousand. if you go on our website you can see the um the tree counter go up but we estimate, well, I envision in the future that we should be doing at least a million trees per year in probably the next three years. That's, and then, um, then as the business grows, we will carry on to invest money when it comes to planting trees. Um, then I just think, going back to the actual manufacturing side, I just think we're going to invest more and more in the factory with being a 100% sustainable factory. So at the moment, we use partners for electricity. We use ecotricity. Um, and we, we work with different partners and we try and be sustainable there. But I think I would like to see, I envision a fully sustainable factory in the future. So they were great closing words from Salve and that was the end of the Q&A. We then wrapped up with a little photo shoot and of course testing some more products. Um, but it was a wicked day. 
But the main reason why we wanted to put this out on a podcast, apart from obviously answering you guys questions, is just to once again say thank you to all of you for supporting us through the Kickstarter and just through supporting the company as a whole. Obviously, as I mentioned at the start, we couldn't do this without you. And we are so, so grateful to have such a great family all who have the same values aligned with us. So thank you and thank you for listening too. See you next time.